Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that the gospel is good. And Lord, I thank you that the gospel meets broken people that need you, that are desperate for you. So would you move this morning? Would you speak to us through uh, the story of you moving in Chris's life? And we thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Drew, for those prayers. I feel like I need them because this is not what I normally do on a Sunday morning. I'm normally up here with the guitar and singing some songs. Um, So I feel like I might need the prayer. Um, I'm also, like I said, I'm a musician. I feel like maybe the best way to tell you my story is through song. So I just wanted to share a song that I wrote with you guys. It goes like this. Just a small town boy Living in a lonely No, okay, I won't do that, I won't do that That's, that's too much I've actually never ridden on a midnight train So uh, that, that is not my story I'm just kidding Now I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina Into a family with a single mom A brother and two sisters And uh, some of my first memories of childhood Were of my mom getting remarried I can remember the setting, I can remember the room, and um, yeah, uh, I was, uh, the the man that my mom married uh, had three kids of his own, so we conjoined to make this giant Brady Bunch. There were seven kids total. I was eight years the youngest. My my closest sibling was eight years uh, ahead of me. And uh, I can remember the house always being full with people, um, with family, and that is where I learned to love to perform. I can remember standing on the stage that uh, my parents custom built for me um, when I was as early as five years old, and that stage actually was our pool table. So um, uh, I can remember singing Michael Jackson's songs for my brothers and their dates, and uh, they would pay me in assorted fruits and candies, so I made out pretty well. Uh, I was a very active kid. I played lots and lots of baseball. That was my first love and uh, had plenty of friends in the neighborhood. So uh, I, I just had a great childhood. I, I remember um, I, my, my memories of childhood are very fond, but I did know that I was missing something in my life. I knew that there was something that my family wasn't telling me along the way. I, I remember hear, overhearing conversations and, um, and I would try to formulate what these little details, these little snippets uh, that I overheard, uh, I, I tried to formulate them into something that made sense into my young brain. I remember walking into the room during those conversations and th- them halting, the, the, the conversations would stop. And I didn't understand why that would happen. I remember when my brother, my blood brother and my sisters would disappear for long weekends and I didn't know where they went and I didn't know why I couldn't go along with them. So uh, there was a lot of confusion. I can specifically remember one morning when my biological father came to my house and was going to pick up my brother and my sisters for a a weekend away. And I remember feeling so anxious and so nervous. And I remember wanting to just get a glimpse of the man who didn't want me. And I remember going to the the window on the far side of the house, the one that had the best vantage point of of the driveway where I knew he would pull up. And I peeled back the blinds and I looked out there and I held my breath so I could focus in really 
intently on his face to see the man. And uh, I remember backing away from that window and I felt sad and I felt unwanted and I felt abandoned. What I didn't know then was that my mother's pregnancy with me was basically the straw that broke the camel's back in their relationship. He, uh, like I said, I was eight years younger than my brothers and sisters, and he said, I'm not doing this again. I'm not going to raise another child. So he left my mom pregnant with three kids and no help. Now, hear me say, this is not an orphan story. I did have a wonderful childhood. I have so many good memories. I know that I was blessed to have, to have my family, but it was hard and confusing nonetheless to deal with those emotions. And before I had felt any of those emotions and those questions started coming into my, my brain, something happened to me that changed my life and my name forever. The man in that first memory that my mom was getting married to. His name is William Kincaid. Everybody calls him Bill, and he literally has the best laugh in the world, big belly laugh. He saw me, this fatherless child, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He reached out to my biological father through letter uh, correspondence. I actually own the letter, which is so cool. Um, and he said, I want to assume all responsibility for Christopher. He wanted to adopt me. He wanted to give me his name, and uh, he chose me. Growing up, I was very fortunate to have those brothers and sisters that were a little farther ahead of me. They, uh, I watched them succeed and fail and dodge potholes in, in the road, and I said, okay, I'm not going to hit that one. I'm not going to hit that one along the way. So I felt very fortunate to learn those lessons, and one of the biggest gifts that they ever gave to me was the gift of Jesus. Um, my sister Gina would often take me along with her to church, and um, so I had some nuggets sinking into my, into my heart through that. She also took me to the most interesting church-sponsored event that I ever went to, and that was a strongman show. Uh, these men and women were completely ripped and muscular, and they were, they were pulling phone books in half and bending steel around their neck. And if that wasn't cool enough on its own right, they shared the gospel at the end of the evening. And I remember sitting in that seat in that church, Hickory Grove Baptist, and um, I remember feeling like I need that. I need Jesus. But I didn't have the courage to stand up. I didn't have the courage to walk to the front during the altar call, altar call. but it didn't stop me. I got there. That evening, I went home and I was in the shower, you know, just me and Jesus doing work in the shower. And I said, Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. I need you to forgive me of my sins. And right then and there, I felt the rush of acceptance in my life. So thank you for my sister. <laughs> um, my big brother, Chris, uh, yes, I said my big brother, Chris. My dad had a son named Chris. My mom had me, the Brady Bunch, and he became Big Chris. I became Little Chris. Do not call me Little Chris. Um, now you can call me Little Chris if you want to. I don't mind. My, my big brother, Chris, was volunteering at a church locally, and um, he did a lot with the youth, and he, he said, you should come along to a Wednesday night event. You'd have a blast. I think you'd, you'd really enjoy it. So, I, you know, I was playing it cool. Yeah, that sounds cool. You know, I might like it, whatever. I walked in the door, 
and I was done for. I was hooked. I in, immediately became a church rat. If you don't know what a church rat is, it's someone who is always at church, always in the nooks and crannies, sometimes in places that he shouldn't be, like the rafters above the sanctuary uh, and in the basement. I was there all the time. I was on the variety team. I helped out with music and the passion play, all of it. I lived to be at church. I literally skipped school my junior and senior year of high school to go to church. I was a church rat. Um, I was serious about Jesus in my teenage years. Um, so serious that I created this nifty checklist of do's and don'ts that, that allowed me to stay on track. You know, I knew that I was doing okay if I did these things. There were basically rules and regulations put in place that put Jesus in a box. And on the side of the box, it said legalism on it. And I thought everything was okay. I could pull Jesus out of the box when I needed him and I could put him back in there when I had everything, you know, solid uh, because I was in control, right? In my late teens, I learned to play guitar and that kind of replaced my love of baseball. Uh, here it was, uh, this new love, guitar and music. And um, in my early 20s, I was playing in bands and traveling around regionally in, uh, in the Southeast and having a great time doing it. And uh, about that same time, I started dating a girl from my church and um, she came from a broken home and I felt, you know, I've got Jesus in a box over here. I can save this girl. I can, uh, you know, kind of pull her out of her family situation. This will be great. You know, I can do it. Um, I quit the band and we got married and started our family. In uh, 99, I got married. In 2000, I had my first son, Lucas, where is he? He's, I think he's right here. Boom. <laughs> That's Lucas. And I, I did that hair. I did that. So this is Lucas. Uh, after Lucas was born, my wife and I had some rocky roads. And uh, for all you young marrieds, the best thing that you can do when you have a rocky uh, uh, relationship is to have another baby, right? I'm kidding, don't do that. Go to therapy, go to counseling, it'll, it'll change your life. Um, but uh, we did, we had another child in 2002, his name is Avery. And uh, eight weeks after Avery was born, my, my wife walked out the door. Um, I was left with two kids and a world that was completely crumbling in front of me. I uh, was depressed, felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me. And once again, that old feeling of being unwanted creeped in. I felt abandoned again. So I, was, I lived my life in that season in a response uh, because of fear. I was afraid of everything. I was afraid uh, that my ex-wife would, would take my kids away from me. I was afraid that I couldn't put enough food uh, on the table or pay the bills. I was afraid of what my friends and family truly thought about my life and how it had crumbled. I was afraid that things would never get better. And I struggled to stay motivated. My family was amazing through that season. They came around me, they would watch my kids as I worked or if I was playing music. Music was my only therapy in that time, the only outlet for my pain. So I wrote a bunch of really, really sad songs. <laughs> 
Uh, but that was my constant state, my constant stressful state. A few years passed, I was still depressed, still wasn't healthy, still making bad decisions, still wallowing in my shame. And Jesus was still in his little box that I created for him, but instead now he was tucked in the closet somewhere underneath my pain and my anger and my fear. Uh, little did I know my life was about to change. I was contacted by a friend of mine and he asked me to come to a surprise birthday party for his girlfriend to play an acoustic set. And I said, sure, I'll do that. I brought my drummer along with me um, so that I wouldn't feel super awkward at the, the uh, party alone. And um, we found ourselves on the front porch and I started to overhear a conversation to my left. And as I look over, I see a, a guy that I knew from the, the local music scene who I knew to be an aggressive atheist, someone who kind of goes after Christians with fangs out. And this young apologetics queen sitting on a porch swing. And I just kept leaning into this conversation. He would say something or ask a question and she would respond to him with such grace and power in her words. And I was so blown away. I leaned over to my drummer and I said, hey, are you listening to this conversation? And he said, yeah. I said, man, she's giving it to him. This is awesome. And she's cute. And uh, he, we, we had a chuckle there. I spent the rest of the party trying to lock eyes with her. That did not succeed. Um, I remember sitting on a stool, singing my sad songs and watching her walk out of the party. And I said, there went my chance. I, I, I'm never gonna know who she is. But hey, we live in the digital age. So I knew somebody that knew her and I tracked down her AOL instant messenger handle. Anyone, anyone, come on. That's how love really starts. And I texted her, or I, I, uh, I wrote her a message that basically said, I was at the party. I got to hear your conversation on the front porch. I think you're incredibly impressive and I would like to get to know who you are. I, uh, I'm sure she thought that was really weird and creepy, um, but that's how all good romances start. Um, I would see her out at, at local shows and every time I saw her, I would cut straight through the crowd to go talk to her. And I, I would tell her things like, hey, you are the most beautiful girl in the room and she would roll her eyes at me. Uh, literally the, the second or third time that I saw her out, I said to her, hey, I'm gonna make you my wife. Take time, take all the time you need. Just you know, let me know when you come to terms with the, that fact. And uh, <laughs> I obviously have the gift of prophecy because uh, this, this young lady is my wife, Rachel. We've been married almost 12 years now. Um, so if you guys need me to prophesy over you guys, no, you don't want that. You don't want that. Um, yeah, she is incredible. She, uh, I met her at a time in her life when she was kind of wandering and wondering about her, her future and most specifically what she was gonna do to finish out her college career and then to what she was gonna do for her life. She was in a major that she did not like and needed to change, so she decided to take a semester off. And I thought, yes, this is gonna be awesome. She was a few hours away, now she's coming home. We we're gonna be able to be in the same town. I can take her on dates, this'll be great. And then she lets me know that she is, has decided to, to do some soul searching on a missions trip. Okay, how long? Five months. 
we had been hanging out for three months at that point. I said, five months. I, I waited my entire life to meet the girl of my dreams. I think I can wait five months. So she goes off on a mission trip with Youth with a Mission, YWAM, and her base is... Homer, Alaska. How interesting is that? This is in 2005. Um, she spent three months here, a month in Seoul, South Korea, and a month in Russia. And while she was here um, doing that soul searching, she uh, and her team were on a, an outreach to one of the island villages. And on the way, someone on her team thought it would be a great idea to give her the keys to the boat and say, steer it. She promptly ran aground, and in doing so, one of the guys on her team split his foot wide open on the boat. So uh, they did make their way to the island. The island doctor came and sealed, uh, like, like closed his foot up with fishing line. And Rachel said, I remember right then and there, I knew what I wanted to do, to do with my life. And luckily for us, that is not captaining a ship. That uh, was medicine. She, uh, she, she had that, that vision for her, her future. She came home, immediately enrolled in nursing school. Uh, we started our like actual dating career. And um, as she finished nursing school with her two-year associate's degree, she started working full-time. And then she, uh, she did a couple of like, small things when she was working full-time. She got married and became an instant mom to my two boys. She got her bachelor's degree. She had four kids of her own, with me, uh, so it was a team effort. Um, we, uh, she got her master's degree, and then this past May, she graduated summa cum laude with her doctorate in nursing practice. And, oh, oh it gets better, it gets better. The same month that she graduated, May of 2020, we moved here to Homer, Alaska, where that seed was planted in her 15 years prior. So how cool is that? That, that literally uh, gives me chill bumps to think about how, uh, how much forethought and, and how amazing the Lord is. Um, so all that to be said, it, it's pretty evident that my wife is a go-getter. She she has so much determination and drive, it's incredible to see and be uh, walking with her on this journey, but it's also pretty daunting. I have felt um, very inadequate in, in regards to how adequate she is. Um, and early in our dating relationship and in our marriage, the enemy really used that feeling of inadequacy inadequacy to kind of speak death over me. And, you know, he would whisper, hey, you know what? This girl is way too much for you. You'll never be enough. You'll never measure up. You know, you might as well just go ahead and get out of the relationship. Um, and uh, I, I remember like carrying that. And I remember um, feeling the weight of all of that. And I remember she was asking me to lead her in the beginning of our relationship, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't even pray over our relationship out loud in front of her. I remember, like, it was just like this block. And um, I'm very fortunate that she is, is not uh, who was, I was expecting her to be. I was expecting her to walk out just like my ex-wife did, to walk out on me just like my father did, but that's not who she is. She is a different kind. Um, sorry. 
Uh, we, we started attending a church together in Charlotte, and there was a pastor on staff there that was over the worship team. And uh, he knew me from playing around town. He knew my music. And um, he asked me, sat me down at lunch one afternoon and asked if I would like to be a part of the team. And I can remember, again, the enemy whispering in my ear, you know what? Like, like he doesn't know your story. He doesn't know the shame that you're carrying around, the baggage that you're carrying around. There's no way that you can get up in front of a church and sing songs about Jesus when you keep him in this little box. And uh, I was really lucky that that pastor saw something in me. He saw a gifting in me. He saw a leader in me, and he didn't relent. So I finally said yes, and just like I did when I was 13 as a new believer, I walked into that church experience and I fell in love. I was, I was there for it and literally fell in love with the honor and the privilege of leading the congreg- congregation in worship. It was just such an honor. And uh, because of that pastor and friends in my life and because of the, the encouragement constantly from my wife, um, speaking life over, over me and my woundedness and my brokenness and my feelings of abandonment, I started to see Jesus in a different way. I started to realize things about Jesus and about myself. And um, just wanted to share a few of those things with you guys. I've learned that brokenness, sin and shame and fear they're all conditions of the heart that the enemy loves to use against us. He loves to uh, hold us back from our true calling, and we know our true calling is in Jesus. Uh, they are weapons that he uses against our souls and against the word of God, and he is good at it. He whispers in our ear when we're alone, and he tells us that we'll never measure up, that we'll never be enough. We might as well quit while we're already behind. God could never use our story. But God's word lets me know something a little different. It lets me know that all of those things that the enemy tells me is, it's actually true. That I'll never measure up, that I'll never be enough. Romans three reminds us that no one is righteous, no, not one. And it reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of his work on the cross, Broken things are made whole. Amen. We are made righteous. And I had a really hard time believing it. But believing it and faith in him is what has changed my life. I learned that words of encouragement and words of life seasoned with Jesus, spoken over our heart, are far more powerful than any lie the enemy can tell us. And I'm so thankful for those, those encouragers in my life. I've learned that when I said yes to Jesus when I was 13 years old, I didn't just get a happy ending with him in heaven. I got new life every moment in the here and now. And my old identity that was polluted by sin and shame and fear has been covered with his sacrifice. And because of him, I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And about that spirit, Romans 8 says, those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Paul is telling us that we no longer get to live our lives in fear and we don't get to hang our heads in shame because we have victory in Jesus. We've been freed from the bondage and we walk around with his power in us. So 
of whom should we be afraid? We are temples of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. We cry out, Daddy. We have a place to belong. We have a family. And in the same way that my earthly father saw my plight and made a way for a fatherless child, my heavenly father has done the same thing. He sees our plight. He sees us as abandoned children, and he made a way. And that name is Jesus. So because of him, because of Jesus, we are called sons and daughters of the most high king. He has given us a new name and a new identity. Peter calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love that part, a special possession. That, I see pictures, I see uh, words in pictures, and I see the hand of God and us as a special possession. And he says, this is mine. This is mine. He calls us his own. He created us. And the shame and the fear that I lived with vanishes in his marvelous light. And for me, it was that simple. Where there once was fear, there's now security. Where there once was shame, there's now grace. Where there was depression, there's now abundant joy. And where there was death, there's now new life for every moment of the day. I once lived my life under the law. I kept that list of do's and don'ts, and I kept Jesus in a box. And uh, God's word says that he has redeemed those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. We are his children. That's who he says that we are. Jesus isn't a checklist. He isn't to be placed in a box because he created all of the boxes. He calls us his sons and daughters. And um, I wanted to sing you guys a song, uh, a song that has ministered to me. um, And I can't help but think of my story with him along the way through this song. So I wanted to share it with you. Will never forsake us. 
daughters of God His love He lavished on us and called us children of the King And in His love and kindness He chose the lowly
Jesus, I thank you for your work on the cross that brought us back in relationship with our Father, our good, good Father. For those of us who call on your name, Jesus, we know that we have a gift. The Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us every moment of our lives? Would you allow us to see every moment as a chance to worship you? We pray this in your name.